Hey everybody, before we started this episode, we just wanted to put a disclaimer out that this episode includes conversations about mental health and suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with these things, we want you to know that you're not alone and we encourage you to talk to somebody you trust and seek help. The Canadian Suicide Prevention Services is available 24-7 at 883-456-4566. If you need other resources, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Today on the podcast, we are chatting with the one and only Will Allen. Will and I grew up together and this is going to be so, so fun. Will's currently in medical school at McMaster University and he has been blessed by opportunities to get to know and support refugee newcomers to Canada, as well as folks who are homeless. He is incredibly gifted, the best piano player I know, and has an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Enjoy! Cool, let's go. I'm excited. Yeah. I have to say, it's always a humbling thing when you have friends who have walked with you through every single cringy moment of your life. Like, you know, when you had a bull cut and you were an overly hyper kid or something. And you are one of those friends, Will. We grew up, like we've known each other since grade two. And I'm so thankful for you the life that we've done together and having you here today is a real gift. So thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for also not giving up on me when I was a really geeky kid who sang opera. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Yeah, this is a fun moment for me because I don't know you very well, Will. I just have heard stories from over the years. So I'm going to be learning more about you as we go along too. So to start things off, just tell us about yourself. What makes Will, Will? Yeah, I would say that like one of the biggest things about me, um, well, Jen mentioned that we've known each other since grade two. I grew up in a small town called Elmira that probably most of your listeners are familiar with. Um, But even though I grew up in a small town, I've discovered that I like really love cities. I like opportunities to meet people who are very different than me. Um, And just like, I would say that I'm kind of obsessively local, if that makes sense. Like, I really like opportunities to be present where I am and work for the good of those around me. So, yeah. Tell us about your upbringing. What was growing up like for you? Well, I mean, we've already talked a little bit about how geeky I was growing up. Uh, pretty nerdy kid, um, small town. I, I moved there when I was in grade two, so um, didn't feel like I totally fit in at the beginning, but um, got to know like a, a good, strong group of friends um, who I'm still friends with many of them today, um, which is sweet. Um, I also was a pastor's kid and grew up pretty involved in like the church youth scene um, in Elmira there too. And you mentioned you were a pastor's kid. What was that like for you? Yeah. Well, one thing that I've heard is that there are kind of, well, there are some pastor's kids who kind of react against being a pastor's kid. They feel a lot of pressure growing up. um, And then that kind of causes them to start to lose interest in their faith because there's just always been so much expected of them. And I think that, honestly, that's fair. There was a lot of pressure for me growing up um, in the church with kind of a lot of people's eyes on me. And I was expected to be this really good kid and do all the right things. 
Um, and at times it did feel a little bit overwhelming. But I would say that for the most part, it was a really good experience um, for me. My parents care very deeply about their faith and their relationship with Jesus. And um, they passed that on to me um, growing up. So I can't thank them enough for that. And also um, seeing my dad, um, who's a pastor, and his leadership kind of behind the scenes of our church was really cool because I was able to witness this like really cool like way to lead with humility and integrity. Um, and I think that that's shaped a lot of my own ideas about like leadership um, and being a leader, whether in, a, in the church or in communities or just in life in general. Um, how to serve others and, and, and focus on their well-being. Mm. It is cool thinking about how our community and the family that we're born into shapes us. And as you're talking about like that idea of service and, and being a leader where you are, you do that so well. I just want to say going to, I mean, you're in Hamilton right now. I love hanging out. Like when we hang out with um, Kitty and Joe too, and just like, grab lunch or go hiking or whatever in Hamilton and seeing you like, oh, this is where this person, like, this is where I'm plugged in. And like, they're doing this really cool thing. And, you know, like, I see the way that your parents have raised you and the things that they've taught you and how you have taken that in and have applied it to what life looks like for you now. It's really cool. So a little, a little encouragement there. Um, <laughs> this season we are talking about story and God's faithfulness. And so let's just kind of dive in. What life experiences have taught you the most about God? Mm -hmm. Well, as I mentioned, I grew up um, in the church. Um, and so I was like a Christian from a very young age. And my faith was um, pretty important to me uh, growing up um, and into like through high school, into university. Um, a couple of years ago, though, I experienced a really um, kind of intense journey with anxiety and depression. Um, and it was at this point that I, I felt very abandoned by God. Um, I had always heard growing up at the church, like when you're at the lowest point that you're going to be at, like you'll realize that God is all you have. And I was like, oh, that's a sweet sentiment. But then like when it actually happened to me, when I found myself at that lowest point, one of the most crushing things to, to, to feel was that I didn't sense God around me. I didn't sense him moving. Um, and so that was like a really hard thing for me because I was just like, not sure where he was. I was trying to pray, do all the right things, uh, read my Bible, that kind of thing. But what ended up being something that I found really powerful to express myself was using the prayers in the Psalms to like cry out to God. So like one thing, like I felt like I had no energy to pray or to be invested in, in my relationship with God really. And so I just ended up like reading other people's prayers in the Psalms. Um, Psalm 88 in particular is this really, really sad Psalm where there's like no hope whatsoever. And um, the psalmist who wrote it is, is just talking about how he feels crushed and abandoned by God. And that was kind of my experience. It was, it was a lot of sorrow and suffering, a lot of darkness. And it actually got to the point where I ended up attempting suicide twice. Um, 
And so I was in, um, in the hospital in the acute mental health ward um, there for long periods of time. But I guess the story of how God ended up bringing me through that sorrow and suffering and, and forcing me to come to terms with a lot of my fears and insecurities is actually what has taught me the most about him. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of like, um, yeah, I mean, hard doesn't even feel like it's a strong enough word uh, to like express those things. But, um, you know, when you're in deep in the midst of your pain, and I know you talked about saying, you know, what I heard about what that would be like, is it a little bit different than how I experienced it? Um, like, it can be impossible to see God working. And, you know, you're in a totally different place now some years out and looking back um how how do you see how god was working and moving behind the scenes well one thing that i've realized is that even though i couldn't feel god's presence at all at that time he never gave up he never stopped working in my life um and one of the ways that he did that was um through people's prayer for me um at some of my darkest points i found out later that like a lot of people were praying for me and like I can connect some like moments of turnaround and small moments of hope to like specific times when people were lifting me up in prayer. So like one example would be um, one of my first nights in the hospital after um, one of my suicide attempts I was really miserable. I was, I was feeling hopeless and not sure um, how, how things were going to improve for me, how um, things were going to change. And I then like that night, something happened and my perspective in the morning was a lot more hopeful and I wasn't exactly sure how it happened. And then um, I didn't have my phone in the hospital, but when I got out of the hospital, I, I found a text message from you, Jen, actually, um, saying that you didn't know why, but you thought that, well, that you thought that I was going through something hard at that time and you were praying for me. So it was like really bizarre because it, it just like so, so almost absurd the way that God actually used the prayers of people in my life to, um, to turn things around for me and to bring like small moments of hope and stuff. So that was really cool. Um, and another thing was that like God was working even in my own mind to use some of the decisions that I was making in like unexpected ways that I didn't see coming. So, um, about a month after my second, uh, hospitalization, I remember feeling low again and so low that I wanted to make another reckless decision. And I was kind of thinking through like options that I had and um, top of my list was maybe I could try to kill myself again. Um, but I also had like other things like, oh, maybe I could get um, like really drunk or um, use drugs or something like that. Or maybe I could like just go on a, a plane and to, to a different country and just like live there for a while. Um, kind of cutting off ties with people around me, that kind of thing. And I managed to kind of wait out the decision for a couple of days. 
and some of the like impulsive ideas that I had faded. But the one that still remained was that decision to buy a plane ticket um, and travel. And it was a decision that I made out of like a place of real impulsivity, but God actually was able to use it um, for healing. Mm. Wow. Well, I had no idea. Like the, I remember like, as you're sharing these things, like I remember, like I remember the season like pretty well but and I remember texting you every once in a while because I don't know yeah I think I was driving home from drop-in or something like that one night and you know like most times I jam in my car (laughs) um but yeah also using that time for yeah as a time for praying for my community and people in my life I had no idea that the time of that that's so cool and humbling but that's cool sorry (laughs) I definitely thought I told you that at one point but wow well I'm it's like I'm here for the first time (laughs) um talk about the healing process for you um you just talked about traveling and how that was that was pretty big what did and and I just want to pause and say that this conversation is so important I think too, for people who have grown up in the church and kind of the expectation and the pressure that you talked about earlier, it isn't easy to talk about these things, to, to, to talk about, you know, like suicidal thoughts and like actually acting on those things and all the emotions and, and things that come with that. But so thank you, number one, but walk us through the healing process for you. Mm-hmm. So I talked about my, um, that impulsive decision to travel and I ended up going, um, I flew to Turkey first and then, um, was around the Middle East and Europe for about three months. Um, and when I went, I said that, okay, at the beginning of this trip, I'm going to give my faith one more chance and that's all I have in me to give. And then if I don't, see anything if I don't notice any change I'm going to give up with that one last chance that I gave it God showed up in incredible ways and and made me realize that I would that he was showing up the whole time so during my travels in and through um that an opportunity that I had to work at a refugee camp God was like present with me through all of that and I don't know growing up in the church I had always heard people talk about like oh Um, I heard God's voice. I heard him say to me this. And I was always a little bit skeptical of those things because I had never heard God um, speak to me in any like, like very audible way. Um, But on this trip, very early on, I got something that I can't really explain besides to say that it was a message from God. And it wasn't actually words, it was an image. It was a clenched fist um, that was opening up, a clenched fist releasing. What lessons did God teach you through that? Yeah, so with that image of the fist opening, I, I didn't really understand what it meant at first. I knew that there was some significance to that, but, um, but over the course of my trip, four meanings became like really clear to me. Um, 
so the first one was um, just releasing, releasing my insecurities and the things that I was holding tight to. Um, I don't know, one, one kind of little exercise that I've heard people talk about is like just holding your fist clenched um, for as long as you can, for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, however long, and just clenching it as tightly as you can. And it's, it's exhausting. And then when you open it up and release it, you feel like a sense of almost peace, um, just because like, you're able to rest and relax. And so all the things, all the worries, the anxieties that I was holding tight to, like, oh, what if people find out about, um, like how I've been suffering? What about people, if people find out about like um, me attempting suicide? Like, what will people think of me? How will I maintain this like good image? How will all my half truths hold together? Mm. I was able to just release those worries and offer them up to God to give them over to him and to his um, control. So that was kind of the first um, thing that stuck out to me with that image of the fist opening. The other one, another one was like reaching out to others for support. I was like letting go of um, everything that I was holding on and reaching out, reaching forward. Um, Because I had been trying to do it on my own. I had been um, trying to not let people into my life. But um, one thing that I realized that was that my healing was going to need other people, was going to need a community of people around me. um, And that yeah, I was going to have to be honest about stuff um, and that that could be something that God used for my healing. A third uh, kind of meaning that that fist opening uh, took on during my trip was just generosity. Um, yeah. What One thing that really disturbed me um, during my time was... Um, Well, when I was in Turkey, there were a lot of um, refugees from Syria specifically, and a lot of the refugees from Syria had like no supports um, in the country and so were reduced to like having to beg for money on the street. And I was like very unsure of what my like reaction should be to this, like how I... Like I had, I had a limited budget for the trip. I was not sure, like it, it was spontaneous. So I hadn't saved up a ton of money for it. Um, and I was unsure about how to like balance this with like the um, serious like empathy that I felt towards a lot of these refugees. And, and so when I like um, kind of offered it up to God in prayer, like that fist opening um, just showed me like, oh, Maybe it's maybe rather than holding tight to what I have, I should be open handed um, with it. And then the last thing that that fist um, opening meant to me on this trip was something that I kind of realized in retrospect after my trip had happened, which was it can kind of be a symbol for resurrection and new life. If you think of like a baby being born, it's all curled up inside its mother's womb, right? And, and when it's born, one of the first things that it does is it stretches out its hands, it releases its fists and like reaches towards its mom. So it's like this beautiful picture of new life and God bringing new life out of darkness, really, out of, out of nothing, out of a place of complete loss. 
And, and so that became a really cool metaphor for my trip because God is in the business of resurrection. He loves to um, take suffering and turn it into new life for his purpose. So that was sweet. That's really beautiful. I, as we've been having these conversations, I think for me personally, doing like this whole work friends things has been really life giving for me, especially during COVID, because as we sit with people and you included, hearing the way that God has taken people's brokenness and has healed them and has actually used it for his glory, it blows my mind away because it doesn't make sense to us. I know for you and your journey through all of this, and, and there's a lot of details that we're not diving into, obviously, but um, how God works behind the scenes, it blows my mind because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And and yet he is still good. And the fact that you are sitting here and, and walking, the things that you've walked through, and at the end of it still saying, like, God's still good, is such a beautiful thing when you talk about releasing all the things you're holding tight to of opening them up to God, how did you learn to trust God? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in many ways it, it started with me um, doing things that I felt that God was placing on my heart to do. And then like relying on him to show up. So like trying to follow him, and then expecting him to actually come through in the uncertainty and like the um, my actual like inability to do those things. Um, so like I was able to spend um, some time working at a refugee camp in Greece on my trip. And that was like something that I didn't feel very qualified to do at all. But God somehow gave me the energy um the honestly the the mental wellness enough to do that and to be able to witness all that tragedy but to still like um be broken but but somehow stable at the same time I I can only credit that to God um I don't know this this is geeky but Martin Luther actually (laughs) talked about something he talked about this concept of Um, being curved kind of inward on yourself versus being curved outward towards God and towards others. Mm. Um, And so this is not the case for many people who have depression, but for me in my own experience with um, all these mental health challenges, at the time I was very curved inward. I was only focused on myself, um, self-pitying, and concerning myself with my own emotions and how I was feeling. And it was the only thing I could see. I, I wasn't able to see, um, to, to really see things around me and how, um, how other people were suffering, how it was the only thing I could see. I couldn't see how other people were suffering. I couldn't uh, really respond to that. I couldn't get back past myself. I was kind of consumed by myself. So part of trusting God was allowing him to like, I guess, turn me inside out so that I was curved outwards. Um, On the trip, I learned a lot about like looking towards others and trying to respond to their suffering. And as I did this, it was God who showed me his presence, who gave me energy when I thought that I didn't have it, and who opened my eyes to see him moving in the other people around me in my life 
um, and who really made me whole and provided for me because of that. Cool. How have your experiences affected the things that you're doing now? Hmm. That's also a good question. <laughs> I think in a couple ways. Um, for starters, I am a forgetful person. I can so easily lose sight of like God's faithfulness and almost forget the awesome things that he's done in my life and the healings that healing that he's brought to me. Um, I can really relate to um, the Israelites in, in the Bible after God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. They so quickly lose sight of the miraculous like freedom that he's brought to them um, and start complaining as soon as something goes wrong. And that's exactly the case with me. I am so quick to lose sight of all of what God has done for me. And so one thing that in the Bible God did with Israel was he got them to make monuments at different points on their journey. So he allows them to cross the Jordan River by like literally stopping, like literally creating a path through the river. And then on the other side of that, he calls them to build a memorial that will serve as like a reminder of the things that he did for them. So for me, I have to try to like intentionally remind myself of what God has done in my story. So I try to share it with others um, almost as a way of holding myself accountable to that in some ways, um, because then they can remind me of God's faithfulness in my story when I am losing sight. Among other things, I also have two tattoos that I can point to as physical reminders of who God is and what he's done in my life, because they remind me of like specific lessons that he's shown me and specific ways that he's intervened um, to bring me wholeness. I guess um, another way that my, uh, that all that healing has impacted me is um, my experiences working at a refugee camp helped to confirm what I wanna do with my life. Um, I had done some work with refugees before, but this experience definitely confirmed that I do want to go into refugee health, which is super cool area. And I'd love to talk about it with anybody if, um, if they're interested. And then I guess the other thing is that I also notice now that when I start focusing on myself, being kind of curved inward and consumed with my own emotions, not really thinking about the world around me, giving into self-pity, prioritizing myself and my own pleasure in like sinful and selfish ways. When I start doing that, I tend to be less mentally well. I start to believe lies about myself and my insecurities can take hold. Um, so the story has kind of showed me that I need to, as much as I can, try to be curved outward by God's power. So getting to know my neighbors and being engaged in the world around me. Um, and for me, this has meant like getting to know people who are very different than me. Uh, Jesus talked about how in engaging with the world around us, it was important to see Jesus, to recognize him in other people, in those on the margins who are hungry or thirsty or in prison or sick or strangers or foreigners to us. So I'm trying to learn to see Jesus around me in the people that I meet. And that can actually be really comforting because Jesus is showing up. He's showing me cool things that I wouldn't um, have expected to, to see. And that's all because of like 
trying to be curved outward rather than curved in on myself if that makes sense mm-hmm. I feel like we could just keep going on and on and on because <laughs> there's a lot um what would you say to those of us who are really struggling with mental health challenges like anxiety like depression like suicidal thoughts and this year has definitely mm-hmm. elevated that yeah. with physical isolation and the impacts that that has on people how would you encourage us who are really struggling right now yeah jen you mentioned physical isolation and i think that's definitely the case um, in the time of covid um, and while i think that it's important to respect like public health guidelines to um, stay socially distanced from people physically, I think that like it's important not to be actually socially isolated. Um, so reach out to people if you're struggling with this. Talk to um, friends if you have family who's supportive, talk to them. Um, and especially talk to your doctor. They can help you get set up on medication and can also link you to resources like counseling. These prove to be very important for me and my journey. So um, please like reach out, don't stay isolated. Um, And I guess one other thing that I would say is if you can try not to give up on God. Even in my lowest moments, even when I couldn't feel him or see um, how, what he was doing, see how he was working he was faithful and he was working in my life to bring about healing. So shout out to God, tell him what you're feeling. If you're geeky like me, you can read the Psalms back to him to hold him to his promises because he will be faithful. Um, And I mean, if you do give up on him, that's not the end of the story because I truly believe that God will never give up on you. But if you do hold fast to him when you're suffering, he will be present with you. And I think that your relationship with him can grow through that struggle. I think one important caveat is that like God is not a vending machine. He may not like give you exactly what you're, um, Mm. what you think that he will. Um, And, and so like, it's easy to like kind of set deadlines for God to make a change and that kind of thing. But he works in unexpected ways. And I kind of shared in my story about how like, um, like it was decisions that I made where I didn't see how God would actually use it, that that God actually really made a difference and brought about restoration. So um, yeah, hanging tight to God, even in the middle of that suffering um, can be really powerful, can show you a lot and can really strengthen your relationship with him. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, some, some really good advice. And I know Jen and I working with young people, like it's so real, like those things that you're mentioning about struggling with those things that, you know, you either learned or wish you had known at the time, like that is so real. And so, um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing those things. Um, I want to talk about what life looks like now. You're a few years out from some of these deep struggles and um, had, you know, some affirmation and, you know, your future and making decisions about those things. So, yeah, just tell us about what life looks like now for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, things, well, things in my life are 
look quite a bit different now. Um, I'm living in another city, uh, Hamilton, which is the armpit of Ontario, but actually <laughs> a really cool place. Um, I'm in my second year of med school at McMaster, which is really hard and mostly pretty fun. Um, <laughs> and I still do see a counselor pretty regularly. Um, the kind of really acute part of my mental health journey has resolved for now. Um, but I, I like, I don't know, I think lots of people can benefit from counseling. And even if you um, are mentally like well or mentally healthier than you may have been in the past, um, I think it's really helpful to be like self-aware um, and purposeful in like prioritizing your mental health, prioritizing um, your spiritual well-being too. Um, so that's something that I would recommend. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. Almost everybody, everybody. What am I saying? <laughs> um, and then another thing that I'm doing now is I'm part of a movement um, called Move In, which is happening in different cities in Canada um, and all over the world. And basically it's a movement of Christians who commit to living among the unreached urban poor and praying for their neighbors regularly. So really what this looks like is me and a few others um, in my neighborhood who try to be really intentional about engaging with the people around us, trying to allow the vision that we have of the kingdom of God to shape how we go about our day-to-day -day lives. So we want to seek the good of the city and the neighborhood that we're in. And we also want to like walk alongside our neighbors, like suffer with them, rejoice with them and see them truly experience the upside down good news of the kingdom of God in their lives, really like intangibly. I love what, hearing you share about the things that you're doing, especially with your, your pod of, um, that's what you guys call them, right? Patch? <laughs> pod. Whoops. I like Patch. pod too. <laughs> Either work, I guess. But yeah, with your community there in Hamilton, I love hearing what you guys are doing. What's been the biggest gift for you in all of that as you have, like you've talked about the importance of being curved outward and serving and tangibly living out the gospel in your uh, neighborhood. What's been the biggest gift for you in all of that? I've had the opportunity to get to know people who are new to Canada um, and to kind of work with them to learn English, to kind of set roots down here, um, to snuggle babies and hang out with kids and play way too much Uno and Dutch Blitz. Um, <laughs> I've had opportunities to get to know homeless folks who also show me what a life of like total reliance on God can look like. And so like all of these have shaped who I am and have really been gifts to me because I can, yeah, I just can learn things about God and about the world that I never would have learned otherwise. Mm. So cool. I don't have an, any other comment other than that. I love it. <laughs> this season, we are talking about story and God's faithfulness throughout our lives. What story are you hoping to write that will be told about you years down the road? Hmm. I think I hope that the story told about me is one where I really showed up in the situations that I was in. 
that I was like truly present to the people around me, um, listening to them, suffering and celebrating with them. I am really fascinated by what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, how it's like a mustard seed that grows from the most unlikely origins, how it belongs to poor people and people who are on the margins, how everything is turned upside down and how the last shall be first and the the hungry get good things given to them and the rich people like me, unfortunately, get sent away empty. Um, but all these reversals, I think, are really compelling and captivating to me. And I, I, I just hope that my life and my story show that I really was looking forward to this kingdom and trying to be intentional in the ways that Jesus and noticing the ways that Jesus was moving around me. It's cool. And our end off question of every episode, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given? Hmm. I think probably the, one of the best pieces of advice was from my dad, um, who told me to always hear the other side of the story. Mm. And he often said this when we were in the middle of like really passionate political discussions, but I think that it has been a valuable piece of advice. Um, definitely hear the other side of arguments and opinions because it's important to get like a, a well-rounded understanding of like different issues and stuff, but also hear the other side of the story by listening to people that you wouldn't listen to talk about their experiences. Um, I think sometimes in the church, we can have a tendency to get so fixated on our idea of absolute truth that we start to devalue other people's experiences and stories. But Jesus didn't. He listened to the people around him. He interrupted his life to notice, talk to them, and hear what they were truly feeling, what they truly wanted. And he gave weight to what their answer was. So when Jesus is leaving this one city, Jericho, in Mark chapter 10, um, all these people are trying to get him not to notice someone. And the someone that they're trying to get him not to notice is this blind beggar. But Jesus does notice. Jesus listens. He interrupts his life and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? He's giving that guy a sense of like, what you actually say to me matters. Like what you desire matters to me. And the blind guy says, let me see again. And so Jesus heals him. And I think that that's a really unique way where Jesus listened. He heard the other side of the story um, and allowed himself to be affected by it. So like for me, I'm a middle-class white guy with a lot of privilege that does shape the way that I see the world. I want to know the perspectives of those who are different than me, especially those on the margins, because there is so much of what they can see that I can't. So trying to seek out relationships with those who are different than me can lead me to start to care about what actually impacts them. And I hope that that ends up being a good and Jesus-y way of seeing the other side, of listening to the other side of the story. Mm. So good. People make fun of us for saying like, mm, that's really good or so good or whatever. It really is. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. This is, yeah. It's been a gift. It's great to see you again. It's been a, a bit, but um, 
yeah thank you so much for being faithful with what the story that god has given you um in being obedient in the way that you see him leading your life so this has been great and i know that people are going to be challenged uh and encouraged by it thanks jenna nainsley for having me this was a lot of fun of course yes fun for us too <laughs> yes. Yay! Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I need to think of new things to say. Like, peace out. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going for, but it didn't quite come out. Yeah, my brain. (laughs) Thank you.